37 to 36 will be our passage under consideration today. Sermon number 43, as we're moving slowly through the Gospel of Luke. We are at the place of what is called the Transfiguration. Powerful passage, but only fully understood in its context. Meaning, where does this lie in the Gospel and why? Why now? Why here? What is Jesus teaching the disciples then and teaching the disciples, all of us, today. What is it all about? Remember, we've had the Christological confession, you are the Christ, Matthew adds, son of the living God. We've had the first passion prediction, the son of man must suffer, many things be rejected and die. You have the 923, the passage for what it means to be a disciple. If anyone would come after me, deny three things, right? Three, a triple death. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And then he talks a little bit about the upside-down world. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you, try to, if you, if you lose your life, you'll, you'll save it. Just this upside-down world, what does it mean to live for Christ? Then this, why? And why now? That's what we're going to look at. Luke 9, 27 to 36, it's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here now. The word of God. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart, whether student, senior, adult, and all those in between. Father, we ask that you make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, a word of comfort and peace for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. We ask that you would give us ears to hear the deep truths, minds to understand them, And hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you meet us in our deepest place of need, but not as we prescribe those needs, but rather as you do. For you know exactly what we need, when we need it, and how best to deliver it. So we come this day that we might be fed your sacred word. No one is here interested in listening to the imagination of a man. But they are here hungry and thirsty for the revelation of God. May it thunder forth from this pulpit. So, Lord, come. 
unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Three headings under the transfiguration. Three headings, very simply. Number one, the purpose of it. What was the purpose of the transfiguration? Number two, the people. We have to pause for a moment and ask a few questions. What, what's the people all about? What's going on with the people that are on the mountain with them? So that we have to ask and get cleared up. And then finally, what's the promise in it? There's a powerful promise in the transfiguration. It was a promise right then and there for the disciples. And there's one for us 2,000 years later. What is that promise for us? How are we to receive this? Before we do that, just pause for a moment. Occasionally we'll bring a Greek word or two, a Hebrew word, just to talk about something that might be easily missed. We need to see this in the Greek. The metamorpho is the term. We, we get our English word metamorphosis, and you probably think immediately of the, the caterpillar that goes to the butterfly and, and the, the form that change that takes place. But here in this Greek word, it's a little bit different. And it's really striking. I mean, meta means change and morph means form. But when you put it together in, in this context, it's a change of a form, but it's in keeping with its inner reality. It's what was already there. So this is, this is striking. Remember, this whole thing that you're involved in in Christianity didn't start with a baby in a manger. It started in the eternal council of the triune God in eternity past and Jesus stepped down out of heaven off of his throne took on flesh which veiled his glory and came into this world so we have a tendency to forget that this is a reminder of that that we ought not to forget that and it was a powerful reminder for Peter, James and John only those three God had his perfect plan note this it's important when you understand the context of of all of scripture as one word to one world. This is the most significant event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when you find it between the cradle and his cross. There's nothing more significant than the transfiguration. Obviously the birth and the death on the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection, but this is it. This is a powerful event that speaks to us today. So, ready? Let's head out into deep water. And let our nets down for a catch and see what God would have us to know today. Under the heading number one, the purpose, Luke 9, 27 and 28. Truly, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> That's a prophecy, but it's not an Old Testament prophecy. That's a prophecy that Jesus just made. He says, some of you. So it's a lot of confusion. They didn't understand what it meant, but he's going to fulfill it. But he says, some who are right here, right here with me, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So now, what does that mean? How, how does that get fulfilled? 28, Jesus took Peter, John, and James. Now, that reminds us of Deuteronomy. Remember the Old Testament, the testimony of two or three witnesses? In order for a matter to be established, there needed to be the testimony of witness. Now, Jesus always had the testimony of his father, certainly the testimony of Revelation and the prophets. But he brings Peter, James, and John for a reason. He's always fulfilling what? The law. Every jot and tittle. So that's instructive. He's bringing his inner three. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up onto a mountain to pray. So now this is a preview. Not only a preview, but a promise of the second coming. So let's talk about that just briefly before we see the passage. Why is that important? Because of what's just taken place.
Peter is confirmed in his Christological confession, but Peter doesn't understand what Christ means. He believes that Jesus now is going to set up the throne of David in Jerusalem. He'll be a military and a political leader, and right now the kingdom of God will be established. And, And Jesus says, no, Peter, Peter, yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I'm the son of the living God. Yes, I'm the Messiah, Old Testament Messiah, New Testament Christ. Yes, but it's not the one that you think. That's later. I'm coming back for that. This one. So then he goes on and he predicts his passion. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. And he must die on the third day rise again. So now he predicts his death. Then he predicts the death of the disciples. If any one of you would come after me, you have to do what? You need to die. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So you have, you have this Christological confession and then you have this death. So they're, they're not sure what's, what's going on. Then he has this upside down world. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose. You're going to lose your life. You're going to save your life. It's just, and, it, and, and it's just confusing. So he says, I, I'm telling you something. Some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of God. I want you to understand what's happening here. So this is a preview and a promise. A promise of, of, of something very important that they needed to, to get. He would be leaving soon. And he would be leaving in a very, very horrible traumatic way through crucifixion. And then they would see him again after the resurrection, but it was, it was all too much for them to understand. So this is a critical event in the life of Jesus. So Second Peter, so go, now we're past all of this. We're past Pentecost. Now Peter's writing, and notice what he says. So, so they finally got it. It took time, but they finally got it. They're, they're like us. We finally get it, but it takes time. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of Jesus in power. We we didn't tell you stories. We were eyewitnesses. Jesus established the testimony of witnesses and he brought us to the mountain. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. What's that? That's the cloud. God speaking in the cloud, they're there testifying to the truth and we heard the voice, this is my son whom I, am, who I love, with him I am well pleased. We heard this voice from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Jesus is bringing comfort to his disciples who are going to do what? They are truly going to take up their cross. And they are truly going to follow him in death. All of them. Depending on how you read church history church tradition. We only have one disciple martyred in scripture. That we know. We know they're all willing to die. But if you read church history and tradition, all of them except John, and they tried to kill John. Tradition says they put him in a vat of boiling oil and he didn't die. But all of them died a martyr's death. It's said of Peter that he refused to be crucified right side up. He said, crucify me upside down. Why? I'm unworthy to be put to death like my Lord. They got it. They understand it. This transfiguration was a setup from God to strengthen their faith, which they would not be able to withstand the persecution that was coming. So it's powerful that we understand why for them and then what it means to us today. And then he, again, establishes his deity. What is, what is his proof of who he is? We see his miracles, right? We see his message. No one taught like him. We see his claims, but this is, again, proof of his deity. Luke 9, 29, take a look. As he was praying, always in communion with his father, that's instructive. 
the appearance of his face changed. We don't know what that means, but something. Remember with Moses on the mountain and they couldn't even look at him? They Veil your face, cover your face. Moses, turn away. The Shekinah glory was too overwhelming. They couldn't deal with it. So something happens now to Jesus. And what happens is, in, in some way, he, he reveals the glory that has been veiled beneath the flesh. The glory that has always been there. This is amazing. The appearance of his face changes and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. That's powerful. So now let's keep building on our understanding. We go to John, John's gospel. And what does John say? Remember, he opens, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. But then we jump right to verse 14. Here's 14. This is it. The word became flesh. Jesus was flesh. 33 years he's flesh. And now on the Mount of Transfiguration, he exposes himself to them. Finally, in, a, in the most unimaginable and majestic way, he made his dwelling among us. But now, what does John say? Remember, Peter, James, and John. John finally got it. John finally understood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We stood on that mountain and we bear witness to that truth. Then moving on, another one of those proofs that's easy to miss if we don't slow down. Look at Luke 9, 30 to 31, back to the passage. How does, how does Jesus communicate with these, these two guys? What is this all about? Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Don't you ask, what is that? How does he know them? Well, that takes us, remember John Remember when the religious leaders, people say today, some of the, the blogging chat room skeptics, not scholars, but skeptics who will say, who really don't understand, never read the Bible. I don't see where Jesus ever claimed to be God. I don't see where Jesus ever ne- did not claim to be God. Everything he ever said was a claim of his, his, his Godhead, his equality with the Father. And here again, remember in John eight fifty eight, what does he say? Before Abraham was... I am. Abraham's about 2,000 years or so before Jesus. But before Abraham was, I am. Well, now we have the same scenario here with Moses and and Elijah. Before Moses was, I am. That's about 1,400 years. Before Elijah was, I am. That's 800 years. He's proving his deity. I'm God in the flesh. I've summoned them to the mountain to testify to this truth, and you're going to need this because they're going to come after you. It's going to be hard for you not to be ashamed of me. And in fact, you're going to be ashamed, Peter. You're going to deny me, and all of you are going to run and hide. But, but, but in Acts 1:8, we're told, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need that power, and then you will truly be my witnesses. You won't falter. You won't stumble and fall. You won't run and hide. You will not be ashamed. You will preach the whole counsel of God because you will know the truth, and that truth will have set you free. This is powerful." So we understand the purpose. It was to comfort them. It was to confirm again his deity. And it's the same for us today. It should be a great comfort for us today. Jesus is who he says he is. But now let's go back and look more deeply because here's where we strengthen our students. We tell our students this is one word to one world from beginning to end. In the beginning, God, to the end of Revelation, amen. It's one word. There's a single theme. There's a single strand that runs through it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So how now does all of this fit? Watch. Here's just one little tiny episode in all of sacred scripture. 
and one episode in the life of Jesus, and watch how beautifully this fits together. Number two, ready? The people. This is, it, it, you couldn't make this up. Back to the passage under consideration, Luke 9, 30 to 31. Before we read it, remember when, when Jesus asked the question, who, who, who do men say that I am? And remember the, the answers they offered? Some say a great prophet, some say Moses, some say Elijah. Well, Jesus is going to clear all that up for them. Well, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, son of the living God. He's going to go deeper. He's going to confirm that indeed he's not. Make no mistake, I'm, I'm not Moses returned or Elijah. Watch. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. Something's happened to them. They have been transformed. Right? Flesh can't inherit eternal life. So they have this glorious splendor talking with Jesus. It's like a family reunion. And, but that's what it is. They spoke about his departure. Now, that's instructive. What departure? Not his ascension. His crucifixion. That's what they're speaking. Because Jesus had just spoke about it. I will be put to death. On the third day raised again. Which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Okay, so don't you ask the question, why, think of all of the great Old Testament names. Why not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why not two of those guys? Why not, why not, why not David? Why not? There's so many names. Why Moses and Elijah? Real simple. Moses represents what? The law. Elijah represents what? The prophets. Of course, you know this. It could only be those two. Because Jesus is what? He's the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfill- he, is the <laughs> he is the greater Moses. He is the greater Elijah. He is the greater prophet, priest, and king. He is what all of it pointed to. Every bit of it. How do we know? He, he tells us. Go to Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I, I have not. I came to fulfill them. He's fulfilling them. And now, picture this. He's standing on the mount. And the law and the prophets are standing there with him, giving their approval. But it doesn't stop there, because that's, we, we, that's not enough. They're giving their approval, and Peter wants to set up three booths. This is, this is about the time of the year at the Festival of Booths, about six months before Passover. And remember the festival of the booths? They would come together and they would remember God's provision in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. There were no permanent structures. They had to set up little shelters and booths while they were on the move. Even the tabernacle was on the move constantly. So they would have this celebration every year. So he's thinking of that. He's mindful of it. This is the time of the year for that. He's mindful of that. And he says, let's set up three booths. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This will be perfect. All three of you together. Uh, he was trying to honor Jesus, but it wasn't, the honor wasn't high enough. He was basically putting Jesus on the same plane as Elijah and Moses, and that's not good. Now, they're standing there, and they're giving testimony in approval of Jesus as being who he says he is. But there's more. There always is, right? Go with me to Luke 24, 44. This is that passage on the road to Emmaus. Listen to what he says. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Where? There was no New Testament. All they had was the Hebrew Bible. And what was the Hebrew Bible? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
Jesus never quoted a New Testament text. They never read out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It didn't exist. They had the Hebrew Bible. So he says, didn't, where were you when I told you these things? They were disciples, these two who were downcast. And what, isn't it inspired irony when he says, why, why are you so downcast? And they say to him, are you the only one in Jerusalem that has no idea what's going on? Actually, he's the only one that, that does know. He's the only one that knows. It's just, it's, it's inspired irony. But he says, all of it had to be fulfilled. My, my crucifixion, Psalm 22, he'll be pierced. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we're here. He will be crucified for us. Didn't you read that? There's, 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 two, there's, there's two advents. Don't miss don't, there has to be. If I come first to set up the throne of David in Jerusalem, you're still in your sin. There's no salvation. So I come first to deal with sin. Your greatest enemy is not Rome. It's sin and Satan and death. I come to deal with that first. But then I'm coming back. Okay? So he tells them this. Now, continuing to move. Watch, watch the transition. The law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, are communicating. Peter, James, and John are over here and they're watching. They're, just, they're overwhelmed. And they're kind of equal. They're, I'm going to build three booths for the three of you because you, you're it. You're the three. Mm. Father God steps in. A voice from the clouds saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. What is God the Father saying? It is right for the law and prophets to stand in approval of Jesus. But now it is right for the law and prophets to step aside and listen to Christ alone. There's no co-laboring here between the law and the prophets. There's no equality here between Jesus and Elijah and Mo. No. This is my beloved son. This is God incarnate. Co-equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You listen to him and him alone. Wow. It's why Jesus doesn't even comment to Peter. No, you're not going to build these booths. What's the matter? You, you, again, Peter, you don't understand what you're saying. Foot and mouth disease constantly. He means well. No, he always means well. Don't we mean well when we put our foot in our mouths? Don't we mean well? Yeah. And we tell the person that we did something really. We said, ah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. We meant well. But always the foot. Always putting the foot in. So God the Father has to step in. And he steps in. He says, no. Step aside. You've heard from the law. You've heard from the prophets. Now listen to him. Wow. But we're not done. We're going to go a little deeper out into the water. Why? Why Moses and Elijah? We see the law and the prophets, but there's something else. There's got to be more. So this is, listen, you go, you're reading your Old Testament, right? If you're walking through the Bible, we're, we're all still in the Old Testament, right? We're, I used to say this like this, well, we're stuck in the Old Testament until we get to, to October 1st, right? Because that's how long it takes to get to that Old Testament. Then you get to October, November, December, you got three months in the new. But no, when you really see it as one word, you really enjoy that time in the old, and now you start reading it, and you see it with different eyes. You come to it with a different heart, and you come looking for things differently. So now you look at events, and you go, what is that about? It can't just be about that event. 
It, it, it's telling us something. It's bigger than that. Why? Because it's a bigger picture. It's constantly God's unfolding plan of redemption from beginning to end. So we have to look at it from that perspective. Not these individual events. So immediately, Moses and Elijah, they've done some amazing things that connect us immediately to Jesus, don't they? Watch. They had a mountaintop meeting with God. Exodus 31, 18. So here we have the law and the prophets now meeting with God on, on the mountain. When God finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony. Moses had one, but so did Elijah. 1 Kings 19.11, the Lord said to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. So now we see a deeper connection. We read those passages and we see, oh, that's pointing forward to the time that they will be on the mountain with Jesus in the transfiguration. What a beautiful picture of what God is painting for us to strengthen our faith. But that's not it. Now there's something that's really bizarre. They had unusual exits. And I'm going to show you the importance of this. They had unusual exits. What, what do you mean by that? You're thinking of Elijah, but let's give the unusual one of Moses. What is up with Moses? Moses is buried by God. No one's buried by God. There's some kind of battle, Deuteronomy 34 and, and, and Jude 9. Whatever that battle is between Satan and God for the body of Moses, I don't know. No one knows. But God knows, so God takes the body and he hides it. This is instructive. Because we read it and go, what is that all about? We go, I don't know. But if we see it as one word to one world, it's teaching, it's instructing us. And then we put Moses together with Elijah and we bring them both to the Mount of Transfiguration. All of a sudden, I understand the exit. The exit. What is, how does Elijah go? Elijah's not buried. A chariot of fire whisks him away in a whirlwind. He's gone. He goes alive. So now, Ready? Ready for them? Don't miss this. There's only two ways. There's, there's actually two ways in the glory. To, and these men represent. Watch. Moses represents those who will enter eternal life after death. So if you die before Jesus returns and you're in Christ, you will enter as Moses entered after death. But that's not the only way in. Elijah represents those who will enter eternal life before death. Oh, Yes. Those trumpets go on today, and you're in Christ. We enter in life before we die. The, the classic text from Paul, look, 1 Corinthians 15, watch. 51, 53, watch. I tell you a mystery. Now, now, now this is a mystery. This is not, the, the, he didn't discover this by reason. He, he didn't get this by the light of nature. I, I tell you a mystery. By divine revelation, God spoke this to me. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. We must be changed to carry across the Jordan into glory. Watch. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. That's Moses. That's the dead who died. And the resurrected body will be raised. Regardless of how you've gone out. Regardless of how you've been buried. Cremated died at sea and buried under the... It doesn't matter where. In space, it doesn't matter. God in his power, omnipotence, omniscience, the dead will be raised in Christ. But watch, imperishable. But now, the ones who are still alive, like Elijah, must be changed. The earthly body must be changed into a spiritual body. 
So not only do Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, and they have these mountaintop experiences, it's the two ways we enter into glory. Some will be alive when he comes. And we should be what? Always in anticipation of that, knowing that it could be right now. That's why we always tell the kids, especially, especially parents, right, if you want to really put the hammer on the children and say, listen, be careful what you're doing at any particular moment because he could be coming back right then. So always be thinking, is this the best use of my time right now? Or would this be a good time for him to return while I'm doing this? I don't know. But this is what we call living in the light of eternity. We've lost our eternal perspective. We've talked about that the last few weeks. We we live for the here and now. What can Jesus do for me now? How can can he give me a better marriage, help me be a better parent, help me at the office, help me with my health and wealth and all that? That's what we think about, but that's... Jesus can do that. He does that. Yeah, that's, that's good. But that's a tiny little portion of what? Everything that goes on forever. So what's the point? Jesus is, is, is wanting you to think about eternity. And he helps you remember that because he tells us something. Let's keep going. The promise. Watch the promise. This is, this is the key. Ready? Sadly... In apostate Israel, it's been over 600 years and there's been no Shekinah glory. You've heard the phrase today that Jesus has left the building and many church buildings he's left. God had left Israel. If you want to take just a little extra time and get to Ezekiel and read at chapters 8 through 11, you can actually see the, 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 the process of, of the Shekinah glory diminishing over time. In, in Ezekiel, it's powerful. You heard of the term Ichabod? This is that the glory has departed. God, listen, here, here's, here's, a, here's a simplistic phrase in my simple way of learning and teaching, especially dealing with the kids. Even God himself can only stand so much. And he says, I've had enough. You have no interest in me. I've had enough. I'm out. And the glory of God had departed Israel for 600 years. No one had seen God's glory. Ezekiel 11.23. Here's here's how sad. This progressive withdrawal of God's presence, his glory, ultimately comes to an end. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. And he was gone. Now, back to our passage. See, God, God, God's not finished. He left. But even in the Old Testament, what did he say? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Watch. Now watch. While Peter was speaking, a cloud, right? That, that gets your attention. Appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, Matthew's description, they weren't just afraid. They fell face down on the ground terrified. Why? sinful man was in the presence of holy God. This is what happens when, you're, when you are truly in the presence of a holy God. I remember Dr. Sproul saying in class over and over and over again, when you read the scriptures, because you hear, you hear a lot of people talking today about being in the presence of God and God, my best friend and my buddy and Jesus sitting next to me in the pew and all that's true. But he said, you read the accounts in Scripture of people who, who, who encountered a holy God. They were terrified. 
they were not left unchanged. This is another example. They were overwhelmed. This, it, we can't even begin. We, we, we have no concept for it. We don't know what it, we have, we have no, no way to look. We read the scriptures. We ask for God to give us light. But they, for the very first time, for the very, now, and this was even greater than, the, than what in the Old Testament. This is God himself who revealed his, it just, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the glory that awaits us. But they caught a glimpse of it, and they're overwhelmed. They're terrified. So a couple points just so that we can remember. This is the Shekinah glory has returned. How? In Jesus. Okay? That's your Lord. The pillar of cloud by day, Exodus. Remember Exodus 13? Remember the pillar of cloud over the tent of meeting? Exodus 40. And remember the pillar of cloud that filled the house of the Lord, 1 Kings 8. This is the cloud. This is, the, this is God's Shekinah glory. It's back. So now Matthew 24, don't miss this, 24, 30. The cloud is, is, listen, is God's visible vehicle. Not that he needs the cloud, but he uses this for our benefit, for our, for, for, our, for, our, for our benefit and our strength and for our faith. So this is a visible vehicle for God's localized presence. They will see the Son of Man, right, Jesus, remember his prediction, Passion for the Son of Man must be rejected and suffer many things. But they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is that? That's the second coming. So what is Jesus saying to you? What, what was he saying to them? They had no idea what was coming. Remember, Jesus predicts after his resurrection the crucifixion of Peter. That's how we read the text. Peter, one day you will be, you will be undressed. In a way that you don't want to be, you will be put to death. You'll be crucified. Without using those exact words, he's telling Peter how he's going to go. And you're going to need some strength in order to deal with this. You're going to need to know that this is really true, Peter. Because you're going to go through denial. Then you're, not going to, then you're going to deny your own self. And you're not going to believe that you, you're even who you think you are. So I'm going to, re, I'm going to reaffirm you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reestablish you. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to get you back to where you need to be. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come. But I'm telling you, man, the pain is coming. But I want you to remember, there's something on the other side of that pain. There's something on the other side of that persecution. There's something that's coming. So one of the greatest lines in cinematic history, as far as I'm concerned, in my genre of movies, right? My genre may not be the same as yours. Kim and I, we look, say, what are you, when we were dating, right? We were young couples. What do you want to watch? I, I want to watch anything that's something blowing up. She'd say, okay, I'd like to watch something, a little love story. I'd say, no, we watch my stuff, we'll get to yours. No, but, we, but I promised her we will. And it's 25 years, we're, on, we're getting close. Because every time we're together, watch stuff that blows up. We've got to see it blows up. So what is Jesus saying? What's the greatest, for me, the greatest line in cinematic history? Jesus says this to the disciples. He says to you what? I'll be back. How do we close this? It's what he said. It's what he said. Arnold said it. Terminator. What a classic line. He's looking through that window right in the police station. I'll be back. And he turns around and walks. Just a classic line. That's what Jesus said. He's saying it right now. I'm coming back. When was the last time you thought about the fact that I'm coming back? For you. It's not done the first time. It is finished. But that's only the first part. I'm coming back to finally set up that throne. The new heavens and the new earth where you will rule and reign forever with me. 
I'm coming back for you. Oh, the beauty. So now, there's only one way for this to close. Because he's, he's preparing them for a difficult life. That's what a disciple really is, right? If anyone would come after me, we don't, this isn't preached today. Come to Jesus, right? Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and they're healthy and wealthy, and what all that is. But no, that's the promise. Just come to Jesus, right? But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, you want to come? Three things. Three things as you're coming. Make sure that you understand. Deny yourself. Get rid of your goals, your dreams. Your, get rid of all. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Do you understand who he was speaking to? A first century Jewish audience and a Gentile audience for that matter who saw the roads lined with crosses. That wasn't lost on them. It wasn't a pendant that we, we wear. It wasn't a tattoo that we get on, on, on the bot. No. It was the cruelest form of, of death, torturous death known to man, the cross. You will take up your cross daily, and then you're going to follow me. He, he made it clear what he was calling people. It wasn't health and wealth. If you got healthy and you got wealthy, great. That's all because of God's doing. And God blesses you to be a blessing, but he's telling you what's coming. But the transfiguration was designed to strengthen them, to let them know, I'm all you need. Because there's going to come a time when I will be all you have. So now let's hear from a guy who, if I tried to tell you, prepare yourself for suffering, you'd go, okay, he's my pastor. But what have I suffered? Nothing. Nothing. A little bit of this and nothing. Let, let's tell me who this, think about who this is, and then let's hear from him and we'll give the invitation. Okay? A night and a day in the open sea. You probably know already. One time pelted with stones, three times beaten with rods, three times shipwrecked. Five times 40 lashes minus one. You ever wonder what that means? In case the Jew were to make a mistake, he was fearful of violating the law. 40 was the max. So they counted out 39 in case they miscounted. Five times. That's not a strap, a belt to the bottom of the child because he was disobedient. That was pieces of metal and bone that tore the flesh from his body five times. Imprisoned frequently, gone without sleep and food and drink. In danger from rivers, bandits, Jews and Gentiles in the city and in the country. Cold, naked and exposed to death again and again. Only from a man who lived that kind of life could we receive this kind of truth. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul understood. And he suffered like no one suffered. And ultimately we know Perhaps 64, he's beheaded by Nero. Dies a martyr's death. One suffering event after another, after another, after another. And he says, it's not worth 
even comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the gospel. So with outstretched arms, and listen to this, not God has spoken this morning. This is the word of God. But God did not thunder this morning from Sinai, nor did he speak out of the fire on Carmel. He spoke quietly through the revelation of his word. And he spoke to you today. And if right now he's speaking to your heart because you have never, ever surrendered control to Christ, Jesus invites you. He asks you the question, are you ready today to receive me as Lord and Savior with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands? He says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Two kinds of rest. The first, you rest immediately from your self-salvation project. You can't save yourself. Stop. And then you will have that eternal rest that comes on the other side when we cross the Jordan. By grace, through faith, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you sense it in your heart. Come. He's coming back. We're all going to die. We don't know the order and we don't know the time. So right now, you hear my voice by way of the internet. This is a moment of salvation. Later today, it may not be. It may very well be too late. So now Jesus invites, come. Come and receive eternal life. Trust in me alone, he says. We're going to pray, and you pray with me if you've never prayed. And if today's the first time ever, come down. Tell me and see me. Come see one of the elders. And if by way of the internet, contact us. This is a moment of salvation. This is why we're here. All believers, pray with me now. Father, if there is anyone in this room or anyone by way of the internet who has never surrendered control to Christ, it's a very simple. It can be said a thousand different ways, but these words will, will suffice today. God, I, I heard the truth today. I know that I have never been in a relationship with Jesus. He has never been my Lord and Savior, but I heard the truth. And I understand right now, and I sense the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, so I cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I confess my sins. I repent of my sins. I ask that you forgive me, and I know that you're faithful to forgive. And now I know today is a day of salvation for me. I will walk out of this room or wherever I am on the Internet, and I will know with confident assurance that I am forever in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would then give them this truth and strengthen this truth in the hearts of all of us who have been walking with you many for decades. Nothing will ever separate us. Nothing, not our sin, not Satan. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise we have in the gospel. And Father, for all of us who've walked many for decades, help us to keep on walking with an eye to eternity, knowing that you are on the way back. And we look forward to that day. In Jesus' precious name, amen.